welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 3rd of June 2012, entitled The Jubilee and the Proclamation of the Gospel. And the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Very good morning. Um, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 4. And... Yesterday, Halek and myself were in um, a second-hand shop. Yes, we do go to the second-hand shops. Okay. Amazing what you can find in those places. But one of the last things that caught my eye, and I bought it, was a, a little badge with uh, a Union Jack on it. And um, fortunately, I forgot to put it on this morning. But um, we're going to be thinking this morning about the Jubilee and uh, we know that on Tuesday, that it's going to be uh, 60 years um, ago when the Queen, our Queen of England, was uh, coronated. And um, we're going to be thinking this morning about what the Scriptures uh, teach about Jubilee. And um, what I want to do is try and link it in with the proclamation of the Gospel, because there is a link. And... Um, you have to turn to Luke chapter 4, and uh, <clears throat> you'll have to stand, please, just for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read um, a couple of words, sorry, a couple of um, verses, and uh, we know that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he went to Nazareth, he went into a synagogue, and he spoke these words. Verse 18, he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, so I want us to consider this morning um, a few things what the Bible teaches about Jubilee and um, how it typifies the proclamation of the gospel. Um, if you notice in verse 19, the Lord Jesus Christ said that he came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I don't know if you know what that is referring to, but it's uh, basically referring um, to um, the Jubilee and uh, what the Jubilee uh, typifies, which is being set free having freedom, and the captives being set free. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do. And um, we're going to look at that verse um, again in a few moments. Um, but we're going to have a look at, um, at the Jubilee. And I want, want us to notice three things uh, that the Jubilee typifies in the proclamation of the gospel. And the first one is, is that the Jubilee was proclaimed on the day of atonement. So if you just turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 25, and um, Leviticus, Leviticus 25 uh, can be found just before the book of Numbers, and it's just after the book of Exodus. And here we have a whole uh, chapter uh, referring to the Jubilee, and uh, the Bible teaches very clearly that the Jubilee was the 50th year, okay? It was the Sabbath of the Sabbaths. And what the Jews would do is every seven years they would have a, um, a special uh, Sabbath year where the land would 
lie fallow, okay? And um, they wouldn't work on the land. And um, everything that the Lord had given them in the sixth year, they would use for the seventh year. God would bless them. Um, But the Jubilee was the seventh Sabbath, if you like, the 49 years, and then the next year would be the 50th year, which would be the Jubilee year. And um, we read in verse 9, it says that the Jubilee was on the 10th day of the seventh month. And uh, this is the Jewish month, what they call Tishrei, okay? And uh, Tishrei can be, according to our calendar, it can be on different months. It can be usually in September, and it can also be in October. This year, it's on October the 26th, but it can be um, in October as well. But it says here that the Jubilee was on the Day of Atonement. Does anybody know what the Day of Atonement was? Yom Kippur. That's right. Okay. The bullock was sacrificed, okay, and the Day of Atonement is and was the holiest day and the most solemn day of the whole year for the Jewish people. Uh, The Day of Atonement actually came 10 days after New Year's Day, the Jewish New Year. And um, if you just turn back to uh, Leviticus 23, uh, I'd just like us to have a look here at the responsibilities that the lay person had, okay? People like us had a responsibility on the Day of Atonement. And uh, we see in Leviticus 23, verse 27, the first responsibility that they had. It says here that also on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you. And then he says, and ye shall afflict your souls. I don't know if you know how uh, the Jews afflict their souls today and how they used to do it as well. Um, They used to do it in two different ways. One would be that they would fast. And then secondly, they would um, repent and uh, they would spend time in prayer and uh, repenting of their sins. And uh, these 10 days which led up to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, from the New Year's Day, they were called Hayomim Ha-Naorim, which means the awesome days. This is what the Jews call these 10 days. And uh, these days um, are days where the Jews um, would go to large bodies of water and uh, where I used to live in uh, Jaffa, there used to be uh, a promenade there and there used to be um, a quay which used to go out into um, the Mediterranean. And you'd see the Orthodox Jews, they would stand on these quays, okay, and they would be praying, okay, and you'd see them um, in prayer, okay. And what they were doing is basically that they were casting their sins into the sea. Where do we get that from Scripture? Well, Micah chapter 7 and verse 19 says this, And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And um, they call it in Hebrew tashlich, and it basically means to cast. And this is what the Jews do today, and what they were doing in those times. And um, they were symbolically casting their sins into the sea. Okay? And uh, they used to do this on the afternoon of New Year's Day, and they were doing it through these ten uh, awesome days leading up to Yom Kippur. Um, not only were they to afflict their souls, but secondly, that they were to make an offering 
made by fire. We can see that in verse 27 as well. It says, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And in verse 28, we also see that they were to do no work. And ye shall do no work in that same day. Why? For it is the day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Um, you go to some places today, not even on Yom Kippur, but if you go on, on the Sabbath day uh, and you start um, driving your car, uh, you'll find a few stones, rocks being thrown at you. Okay, there are a few religious places in Jerusalem which um, the religious Orthodox Jews don't like and don't allow uh, vehicles um, because they believe it's lighting a fire and uh, that you're creating work. But the Jews have this about them on the Day of Atonement that they don't do any work whatsoever. Okay? And um, you can go to Israel if you want to go for a holiday and you want to, you know, visit shops. I would, uh, I would say don't go on uh, Yom Kippur because you'll find most of them are closed. All right? Because they just do not work on this day. So those were the responsibilities of the lay person. But also there was the high priest. The high priest had great responsibility on this day of atonement. Uh, just turn back a few pages to Leviticus chapter 16. And uh, Chris, a few moments ago, he was um, talking about the bullock. And uh, we see in chapter 16 in verse 3 that uh, the high priest, which was Aaron, used to go into uh, the temple and uh, he would sacrifice this bullock. In verse 3, it says, Thou that thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering. Not only did he go in there with a bullock, but he also had a ram as well. Um, if you're an animal lover, I'm sorry about all this, but this is, um, this is the word of God. This is what they were doing. And um, it was God's way. It was God's method for the people to have their sins covered, okay, on the Day of Atonement. Uh, they were going there with the bullock and the ram, and they would offer them. The ram would be the burnt offering. Notice in verse 5, there were some other offerings as well. And these were two kids of the goats. Um, and ye shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering. And there were also one ram for a burnt offering. We just read that. Um, now, these two goats, very symbolic, very important. If you notice in verse 10 that um, one of these goats um, was called a scapegoat. Sorry, verse 8, notice that one of these goats... <clears throat> What would happen is that they would cast lots upon these two goats, okay? And the lots which fell upon uh, one of these uh, goats would be for the Lord for a sacrifice. And that would be the sin offering. So that goat would be sacrificed. That would be God's um, uh, sacrifice, okay, unto God. But there would be another uh, goat, okay, which... Um, Aaron would place his hands upon, upon the head, and what he would do is that he would confess the sins of all the people of Israel upon this goat, okay, and then that goat would be set free into the wilderness. Having the sins of the people been placed upon it, but it was set free. That's why, where we get the term scapegoat today. Okay, someone that takes the blame, if you like. We've all heard that, haven't we? Let's just have a look at a few verses in uh, Leviticus 16, just to show 
what I'm uh, I've just been explaining there. Verse uh, 10 says, But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And notice as well in verse 22, And the goat shall, what's the next word? Bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the shall let go the goat into the wilderness. Well, that goat must have been happy about that, mustn't he? Okay. Um, he wasn't sacrificed, but he was set free. And notice in verse 27 that uh, the bodies of the bullock and the goats were actually carried from the temple and they were carried outside of the camp and they were burnt. In verse 27, says the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. Okay? Scripture's very graphic, isn't it? Um, what a picture we have here, friends, of the gospel jubilee, which is based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We just read Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19. Let's just turn back there. Luke chapter 4. And we see here how Christ, he proclaimed the acceptable year. He says in verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And this uh, year typified the year of Jubilee. We know that in verse 18, he says that he came to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to preach deliverance to the captives and to set at liberty them that were bruised. Um, we're not going to turn there right now, but if you look back, maybe this afternoon you'll have time to look at Leviticus 23 again, okay, that servants were to be freed from their masters, okay? Um, and they were to be let go. They were to be able to go back to their possessions, and to their lands, and it was all given back to them. And this happened at the time of Jubilee. And we can see here um, that not only um, were they set free from their masters, but on Yom Kippur, they were also set free from their sin as well. And you know, when we bring all this back, and we bring Jesus Christ into the picture, we can see a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ and how he typifies the Jubilee, how the gospel typifies Jubilee. Um, let's just have a look at a few verses. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, back in your, in your New Testament. Colossians 1 and verse 13 says this about deliverance. Who hath delivered us, this is Jesus Christ, from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross for us, the Bible says that he delivered us from the power of darkness. He delivered us from the master of darkness, the devil. No more do we have to be in subjection to the devil's will. We have power 
over the devil through Christ. He set us free from the power of sin. Wonderful. Romans 4 and verse 25. We see here how Christ typifies that bullock that we've been thinking about. Four. Romans 4 and verse 25. Speaking about the Lord, he says, Who was delivered for our offences. Just like this bullock was delivered for the offences, the transgressions of the people of Israel, Jesus Christ says here in verse 25, was delivered for our offences. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but he was delivered for our offences. That's great news. He was delivered for the Christians' offences. But the Bible says that he was delivered for all of our offences. Let's just turn to Romans chapter 8. And notice what it says in verse 22. It says that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And we know that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Just like that bullock was offered up for the sins of the nation of Israel. Christ typified that bullock on that day of atonement. That's gospel jubilee. Set free. Delivered. Wonderful. Hebrews chapter 2. And let's see here how with um, those that were in bondage to, to death have been set free um, as well. Hebrews 2 verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, it says, he also likewise took part of the same. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, took part of the same that through death he might destroy him, that's the devil, that had the power of death, that is the devil. The power of death. Jesus Christ says here, has destroyed that power of death over us. Wonderful. That gives us something this morning, if we're Christians, to rejoice about. And even if we're not Christians, we need to realize what Christ has done for us. I wonder this morning, have you been delivered from your sins yet? Have you, as it were, had your sins cast into the sea? Have your sins been dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says today is the day. Now is the accepted time of salvation. So we see, first of all, that the Jubilee was proclaimed on the Day of Atonement. Secondly, um, sorry, can I just go, uh, go back um, a couple of scriptures and just mention quickly about the scapegoat. Um, the, the scapegoat also typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a, a couple of scriptures. Um, Hebrews 9 and verse 28. Hebrews 9 and verse 28 says, So Christ was once offered, and then it says, to bear the sins of many. And that's exactly what the scapegoat did on that day of atonement when he had his, the sins of the people placed upon him. Okay, he bore those sins and he carried them out into the wilderness. And it says here that Christ was once offered to bear, to carry the sins of many. 
Remember the Lord, when um, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was coming uh, to John the Baptist, and what did John say? He says, Behold the Lamb of God, which what? Taketh the way, away the sin of the world. He takes away that sin, just like that scapegoat took away the sins of those people into the wilderness. Wonderful. So the Jubilee was proclaimed on the Day of Atonement. Secondly, we see that the Jubilee was proclaimed by the sound of trumpets. Back to uh, Leviticus 25 and verse 9. It says here at the beginning, Then shalt thou cause the trumpets of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, in the Day of Atonement, ye shall make the trumpet sound throughout how much of the land? All of the land, not just in Jerusalem, okay, or Nazareth, but all the land. They were to sound the trumpets. Does anybody know what the trumpets um, were called? Well, there were a few trumpets, but one of them, do you know the name, Jane? No, Chris was looking at you as if you might know. <laughs> but then, the kids, right? No? Didn't sound like that, but it sounded much louder. But um, they call the trumpets shofar. Okay, and these um, trumpets, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're actually horns from a ram. And um, I remember years ago when I was um, living in, um, in Tel Aviv, um, a, a um, Jewish man that I was living with in the house. We used to have groups coming in from all over the world to do evangelism. And uh, some groups, they really found it hard to get out of bed in the morning. Okay, But um, Yaakov, who, uh, we were, who I was living with, he didn't have any troubles. In fact, at five o'clock in the morning, he was out there in the Mediterranean taking a morning dip. He used to do it most mornings. But he was getting a bit tired of this group, I think they were, came from Australia somewhere, and uh, they were a, a little bit slow of getting up, getting into the shower. There was only, I think there was only one bathroom, and there must have been a team of about 20, okay? So what Yakov did was about 5 o'clock in the morning, he would get his shofar, and he would go very, very loud at 5 o'clock in the morning. I tell you, we shot up like scud missiles. I tell you that chauffeur, you could hear it. It was, it was the, the um, you know, the the rooms were shaking, the walls, and he really blew that chauffeur. And I can tell you that when the chauffeur is blown, it's blown for a reason. It's blown that people would pay attention because something was going to happen. Um, and this is what happened on the Day of Atonement. These chauffeurs uh, were sounded. Actually, the word jubilee comes from a Hebrew word, uh, yovel, which basically means a blast of the trumpet and um, a blast of the horn. And um, this is exactly what, what was happening. I don't know if you've ever done a study of the trumpet in Scripture, but it's very interesting. Let me just give you uh, nine um, things that uh, the trumpet was used for when they used to blow it. Um, I'm not going to turn to each of the verses, but I'll, I'll just mention the books where you can find them. But the book of Exodus, one of the first times that it's mentioned, chapter 19, it was used for the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Not only that, but Leviticus 23, it was used 
at the blowing of trumpets, which was New Year's Day. They would blow the trumpets. Uh, thirdly, uh, Leviticus 25, the trumpet was used on joyous occasions like the Jubilee. Uh, fourthly, Numbers chapter 10, um, silver trumpets were used to call an assembly and also for the journeyings of the tribes of Israel. When they were to make their journeyings, yeah, they would always get the people together, but they would use trumpets to do it. And on their journeyings, they used to use the trumpet. Um, Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. Would anyone know what that is? How would they have used trumpets in Joshua? Young children, you know that one? What happened in Jericho? That's right. Shall we just turn there? Joshua chapter 6 and verse 20. And uh, this is quite a famous <clears throat> time where these trumpets were, were blown. And uh, chapter uh, Joshua 6 and verse 20. And we know that all the people came together, uh, that these priests came together. It says, so the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And what happened next? They took the city. But one of the things that they did, first of all, was to blow the trumpet. That must have been a frightening sound. You know, when uh, Israel will go into war, they used to blow those trumpets. And I can imagine that some of these groups of people must have been very, very fearful because they knew what these trumpets meant as well. They'd heard the stories um, of gi the giving of the Ten Commandments. They'd heard the stories of Israel moving through the wilderness. So they knew what the trumpets were used for. And when they were used for going to war, that must have been a very fearful time. Not only that, but 2 Chronicles chapter 5, the trumpets were used in the, uh, de in the um, dedication of the first temple. Also in 1 Kings, uh, first chapter, it, they were used for the coronation of kings. Okay, King David, when he was coronated, they used the trumpet. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52, would anyone know what those trumpets are going to be used for? Jackie? The rapture, the resurrection. Okay, the Bible says, For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So when the rapture happens, people are going to know about it. When, the, when that resurrection happens, the Bible says that the trumpet is going to sound. And we know that when the Lord Jesus Christ makes his second return as well, there's going to be a sound as well. Um, Revelation 8, chapters 8 and chapters 9. We also hear, see that there are trumpets going to be sounded when God is going to pour out his wrath in the time of the tribulation upon this earth. Trumpets are going to sound. So when trumpets were used in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, it was to announce something important that people needed to hear. And I want us just to focus a little bit now upon the gospel jubilee, how the jubilee, how the gospel is to be proclaimed. 
And just as the Jubilee was proclaimed by trumpet, so also the gospel is to be proclaimed. Not so long ago, a lady said to me, you don't have to preach to people. Well, I would like Jesus to be our example, to be my example. Let's have a look what the scripture says. You know, a lot of people get offended when, when we preach. Luke chapter 4, they say, oh, you don't need to preach to people, you know. Well, what, how did Jesus do it? Well, we see in verse 18, he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he have anointed me to what? Preach the gospel. Jesus is my example. He's our example here. That we are to preach the gospel. You know, somebody once said that the richest person on earth who never hears the gospel is the poorest person on earth. And that's very true. People need to hear the gospel message. Acts chapter 5. If you just turn there, please. Acts 5. And I want us just to see a few things um, about proclaiming the gospel and how um, we are taught from Scripture how we are to do it. And uh, we see in Acts 5 and verse 42, we see here that we are not to cease preaching. Uh, verse 42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and what? Preach Jesus Christ. You know, we are living in a day and age where people are trying to make laws, bring through laws where we are to stop preaching. Those are laws which we need to disobey. I know that we're to obey the authorities, but when the authorities go above and against the word of God, we need to obey God first. And he tells us that we need to preach. We need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only do we not cease, but we are, all, we are always to be ready to preach as well. Um, Romans chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul says, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And you know, the Apostle Paul was ready to preach the gospel. He didn't have to go back home and get out his Bible um, and to search scriptures and to find out if it was right, uh, to find out what to preach. Paul knew what to preach, but he also knew that he was to be ready at all times to proclaim Jesus Christ. And that's something that we need to be ready for as well. This is one of the reasons why we need to pray and we need to look for opportunities. We just don't know when they're going to come, but pray for them. You know, yesterday when we were out, we were in a, um, a market and I took with me two um, of my uh, leaflets. I didn't know who I was going to give them to. I walked past one market and a lady said to me, she said, um, hello to me. And immediately I thought, I've got to give her a tract, tell her about Jesus. So I gave her one, walked a bit further into another stall, and I saw this lady, she had a badge on it, looked like a Freemason's badge. I just knew that I had to say something to her. 
about Jesus. I just said to her, are you a Christian? Do you know about Jesus? I gave her my tract. She said that she would read it. She told me that she used to heal people. She was a spiritist. But you just don't know when the opportunities come. But if we're not ready, we're going to miss those opportunities. And you know, as one man, I think he's called Paul Arrowsmith, I remember him standing in this pulpit. He opened his jacket and he picked out of his pocket a little bag and he had tracks in them. And he's ready, he's a man that's ready to proclaim and to give the gospel to people. Be ready. Pray. Look for opportunities. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is something else that we need to be mindful of when we're proclaiming the gospel. Chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And when we preach, when we're proclaiming the gospel, we need to proclaim the cross. You know, the cross may seem unloving. It may seem old hat. It may seem not very popular. But it's the method that God has given to us. Notice it says in verse 18 that it is the power of God. And if we preach anything else but the cross... The power is not going to be there. If you'd start telling people all different things about the Lord Jesus Christ, but if we miss out the cross, we miss the central parts of the message. We can't miss the cross out. It's got to be proclaimed. Not only that, but Romans chapter 10, we need to proclaim the gospel, otherwise people are just not going to hear it. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. We've probably read these verses many times, but let's just be reminded. Verse 14, Paul says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? I don't know if you know about this, but about three quarters of Kenya say that they are uh, Christian. Okay. Now, within these three quarters of, um, of the population... There are people that have um, come from um, a very traditional background where ancestor worship comes from, okay? And, um, you know, they, they mix all different things together. But unfortunately, what I've read is that they, they bring some of these things into the worship, into the church, and they try to, and try to bring them together. Okay, if you like, it's like a form of Catholicism, isn't it? But these things uh, happen, okay? And a lot of these people may be ignorant. And they just need to be taught what the truth is. Um, but unless people hear, they're not really going to know, okay? God doesn't want people to be ignorant. He doesn't want them to be ignorant of the gospel. And... I was reading last night that there are about uh, 17, uh, sorry, 70 groups of Kenyan people. They come from different tribes. But about 18 of those groups have not been reached yet. And they don't have the scriptures translated into their own languages. So that's a lot of people, isn't it? And they need to hear. 
They need to hear the gospel message. So we need to remember to pray for our pastor, especially this week, as that crusade is going on. Um, it made me think when I wrote this down as well, but unfortunately, the sound of the proclamation of the gospel sometimes is not very loud within our church as well. You know, we have an outreach every month, and sometimes the outreaches can be not very well attended. But you know that this needs to be the time where we are like those priests that were blowing the trumpet and we were, they were shouting. They were making known the gospel to people. And if we're the people of God today, which we are, from this church, we need to go and we need to blow the trumpet. We need to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Otherwise, they're not going to hear it. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We need to let the people know. You know, Dave Kistler, I think it was um, on a Monday night last week, he uh, put out an invitation for people to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel with at least one person every week. That's not much, is it? How many people do we meet in a week? How many opportunities do we have? We have quite a few. But just to speak to one person, is that too much? I don't think so. So we've seen, firstly, the Jubilee was proclaimed on the Day of Atonement. It was also proclaimed by the sound of the trumpets. But thirdly, it was proclaimed to all people in all places. Back to Leviticus 25. I just want us to uh, finish on this this morning. We know that these um, trumpets were sounded and all the people were to hear. The trumpets were sounded throughout all the land. Let's just turn to verse 9 again. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Shall ye make the trumpet sound, and then it says, throughout all the, your land. Verse 10, and ye shall hallow the 50th year, proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. You know, the proclamation of the Jubilee wasn't based upon a person's intelligence or his merit. It was based upon all the people to receive the Jubilee, to receive the good news. It was to go to all the people throughout all the land, not just the intelligent, not just the, the high-ranking. No, it was to go out through all, all the land to all the different people. You know, the Queen, she's proclaimed the Jubilee, hasn't she? And she's proclaimed that Jubilee to be on, the, um, on uh, Tuesday. And it's a bank holiday. And hopefully and usually on a bank holiday, people have a time of rest, don't they? A day off work. I know some of the bosses don't like it because they're not going to receive the money, but she's proclaimed a jubilee. She's proclaimed a day to set aside, a day to remember. And this is a day that people's attention and focus can be focused upon the jubilee. But this wasn't 
given to just high-ranking and great... No, this is to everybody. This jubilee has been proclaimed for all people throughout all of this land, I believe. I believe it's also happening in Scotland. Is that right, Malcolm? All right. I don't know if you saw uh, yesterday, but there was a race. I think they called it the kilt race, where people um, race with kilts on. Okay? So it's been proclaimed to all the people through all the land. Okay? And um, the gospel we're going to see here was proclaimed to all people in all places by the apostles. Just turn to Acts 17 and verse 6. Acts 17. And let's just see how the apostles proclaimed the gospel to the people. Um, Chapter 17 and verse 6 says, and this is speaking about um, the home of Jason, who brought and invited the Christians into his home, and, um, and he was going to get into trouble for that. And it says, and when they found them not, this was some of the disciples, the apostles, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And we see here that these apostles, these disciples of Jesus, the Bible says, they turn the world, just like that flag, upside down. They caused havoc with their teaching because it went against the grain of the Romans. It went against the grain of the rulers. It took away their money. It took away the, the, the worship of kings. Because Jesus was the only king to be worshipped. They didn't like it. And the message that was being proclaimed through their witness, the Bible says that they turned the world upside down. I wonder, do we have that effect with our witness? Do we turn the world around us upside down with the message of the gospel? Or do the world say about us that we're one of is one of us. She's one of us. There's no difference. Are we different to the world? Remember the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's what the Bible says. But often, unfortunately, there is no difference. There needs to be a clear proclamation and all the people need to know about it around us. Not only was it proclaimed in all places by the apostles, but secondly, it was also proclaimed to all people in all places by the church. Um, Do you know that um, I've just mentioned about uh, Kenya, but you know that there aren't many continents in this world today that have not heard the gospel, or the gospel has not gone to that continent. All we need to do really is to look at the, um, the bulletin that we have, and just to look at all the different places, the continents where the gospel is going forth. It's going out to the four corners of the world. The pastor's in Kenya. It's going into Africa. We know it's going into the Philippines. It's going into the States. It's going into Peru, South America. It's going into Europe. The gospel is being proclaimed in all places and to all people just as Christ said it should do. 
I wonder why don't we join our church to reach all the people in all the different places. You know, that when we go out into the city centre of Birmingham, you know how many nations are out there in Birmingham? It's incredible. The number of people that you meet, the number of nations that are represented out there, it's incredible. You don't need to go to Africa to, to, to preach to Africans. If God is not calling you to go, we just need to go into the city centre of Birmingham. And they're there. The nations are coming here. But we need to go out there. And we need to do it through our church. That's God's method. Not only was it uh, proclaimed to all the people by the apostles in all places and by the church, but thirdly, we're going to finish on this, the gospel will be proclaimed to all people in all places by the Jews. Uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And here we have a scripture which, if we get the dispensation wrong, we're going to have it all mixed up. Okay? We were thinking this, this morning about amillennialism, okay, and the teachings of it. Um, but we need to get the dispensations right, and we need to study the scriptures. Because the Bible is making it very clear that there's going to come a time, a seven-year period upon this earth called the tribulation. And I believe that through the, the second half of this period that there's going to be a group, a remnant of a remnant. They're going to be set apart by God. There's going to be 144,000. And these from the 12 tribes of Israel are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's just have a read. Matthew 24 and verse 14. It says, Jesus says this, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And we believe in this church that the church is going to be raptured and the Jews are going to be, uh, are going to be sealed, these 144,000, and they're going to go with the gospel, and they're going to go to all the different nations, and they're going to preach Jesus Christ. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? Amazing, isn't it, how it's all going to come back to the Jews. And isn't it amazing how God is preparing not only the land, since 1948, he's bringing his people back, but he's preparing his people as well because he has got a work for them to do and they're going to be evangelists. We read in uh, Revelation chapter 7, okay, that there is going to be a great multitude in heaven and I believe that the scripture is teaching that these multitude are going to come out of the great tribulation. They're going to be saved because of these 144,000, the Bible calls them, the servants of God, and they're going to make the gospel known. We, the Bible teaches, I believe, the church teaches, that we will be taken from this uh, tribulation period, and these Jews are going to be the ones, the witnesses to be left to do the work. And um, it's going to be a great time of preaching God's word. Wonderful. The trumpet 
is about to sound. The question is, this morning, are you ready? If you're not a Christian here this morning, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You need to be ready. This morning, as I have been preaching, in a way, the trumpet has gone forth. It's time to awake. It's time to get ready. It's time to be saved. It's time for you to become a Christian. And if we are a Christian here this morning, it's time that we get busy and we tell people about Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for what we could um, read this morning, Lord, of the Jubilee. And Lord, we thank you how it typifies the gospel dispensation. And we thank you, dear Lord, that you died on that cross for our sins according to the scriptures. Lord, how you typify this Jubilee period. And Lord, thank you for, his, for reminding us here this morning. And dear Lord, there may be one or two this morning that are not Christians. And we pray, dear Lord, that you may cause them to bow the knees before Jesus today and to become a Christian before it's too late. Lord God, we thank you for those of us that have already bowed our knees to Jesus. Lord, help us to be more faithful in proclaiming the gospel message. Lord, we also pray for Israel this morning. And Lord, we know that there is a time coming, Lord, of tribulation, of wrath being poured out upon this earth. But we thank you that even in that time, God is so graceful to have a remnant to preach the gospel and to point people to the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we pray that you, Lord, today would help us, Lord, just to be reminded of these wonderful truths from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.